I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. Hello, I'm here with Keith and Ivona Major. Uh, very good morning to you both. And, good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, and I first met them um, seven or eight years ago, 2013, I was told, in, um, at Steubenville when I was giving a talk there. They're now both based uh, very close to me, or relatively close to me. So they're in California, they're in LA, and um, we um, had a little bit of contact at the time. And then more recently, they reached out and I went down and gave a talk for their new or relatively new project. You can tell us how long you've been going, called Stone to Flesh, which I think is fascinating. And we'll certainly get onto that. But Keith Inavona, why don't you just um, take us back to that talk I gave in Steubenville? You were there, Keith, and I'm not looking for, I'm not prodding you to give me praise. I, I, what I want to know is what made, what it was that caught your ear. You came straight up to me afterwards and started to tell me about this vision you had, really, uh, for how you could help the faith. So why don't we go back to that point? And if you want to tell us how you got to there and the story of how you met, then we'd love to hear that too, the story and faith, effectively. That's too long of a story. <laughs> That's a <laughs> lot of info in that, that little uh, Yeah, yeah. Little I need to open Tell us what interests you. Yeah, I, I would say um, tomorrow is April 1st, and uh, it was April 1st, 2000, so basically tomorrow will be 10-year anniversary. 2010. I'm sorry, yeah, 2010, yeah. yeah. So 2010 um, was when I came back into the Catholic Church um, and had my first communion, um, was April 1st, and actually had my, my certificate that the priest gave me, and I posted it on Facebook the very next, you know, I posted it on Facebook, and um, people thought it was an April Fool's joke that, uh, <laughs> that, that, what is this? This is a great joke. I'm like, no, no, I'm actually, you know, coming back into the Catholic Church. I mean, me and Ivona were both um, evangelical ministers that uh, church planted in Russia, Poland, did missionary work in Saudi Arabia and Qatar for over 12 years. And then we came back to the States. And of course, when we came back to the States, we were, we were vineyard pastors, but we just wanted to have a sabbatical time. And when we, uh, after traveling through 16 states, reconnecting with uh, many people that we haven't saw in many years, um, we stumbled across a place in Kansas City called the International House of Prayer, where this community of about 2,000 people were praying 24 hours a day um, and doing half of it in intercession, and the other half of it was singing the Bible. And I was so intrigued that, you know, everyone that was on staff there had to be in this prayer room at least four hours a day. And you could pick whichever, you know, two hours set you wanted. You can do two hours of intercession and two hours of what they called worship with the word, which they would actually sing the Bible with. They had like 25 different worship teams that would have like the music in the background and they would, you know, they just pick a scripture. So... I never saw anything like that in my life because for me it was a, it was a lay 
evangelical kind of monastic movement or community. And they gleaned so much from the Catholic mystics. And of course, they were highly encouraged. All the staff was required to read um, Father, Father Thomas Dubay's The Fire Within. They were uh, highly encouraged to read uh, Ralph Martin's The Fulfillment of All Desire, which, you know, technically it's just <clears throat> um, in a nutshell uh, about the purgative, illuminative, unitive way of St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Bernard of Claveau, Francis of Sales, Therese of Lazur, Catherine of Siena, St. Augustine. So it was uh, in that environment of six years, <clears throat> we, um, we decided to pull the trigger and become Catholic. Wow. Back into my church. So if I heard that right, you, you were both, um, as very young people, Catholic. Um, you're Polish, Ivona. Um, and then became evangelical and then came back into the Catholic Church 10 years ago. Um, have I got that right in this amazing journey? Just out of curiosity, how many others um, from that community in Kansas or that group of people followed you? It, it sounds like it's going to lead people in that direction at, at some point, or it's very likely to. Uh, I, I don't know that number. I think a few. I don't think it's like, you know, many. Um, right. But, you know, there, there's a few that are starting to um, see the benefits of this, um, the liturgical things yeah. that is missing in the evangelical world. Um, I mean, just recently, you know, I, you know, I was an evangelical, like non-denominational pastor, like no one brought up like Lent or kind of like a liturgical calendar, but you're starting to hear I'm starting to hear more about that in the last um, the last five years. So it's like this new awakening of something causing a hunger for people to go a little bit deeper. And, um, and of course, they're finding that in some of the teachings of the Catholic Church and some of our uh, traditions. Right. Um, and, you know, some of them that don't want to pull the trigger and go all out Catholic. Um, some of them are just becoming Anglican or Episcopalian, because then they're still Protestant, you know, it's not like they're submitting to the Pope in Rome, but at least people are, are some people are gravitating toward more of a, um, of a historic church. Yeah, and a liturgical one, yeah. And also it was a very ecumenical place. So, you know, some evangelical charismatic um, environments are, openly anti-Catholic and some are not. This is not, this was very Catholic friendly, if I would say so, in a sense. And I think that a lot of people who grew up without, um, without the component of liturgy in their spirituality, let's put it this way, yes. they find it very helpful. And as far as social media, that's what it did to many people, that they felt something maybe was missing and I don't want to expound on it if it's you know personality issue or whatever because there are some things there that might some people might be drawn to that form of worship but um and we also live now in a country I mean you're from England so you know I grew up in a country where this is all we had so for us attraction was praise and worship and kind of more modern if we would call it maybe ways mm -hmm. of expressing um our worship to God, and but this trend gets very easily, uh, how to say, 
it can become a fashion and it can become, uh, and I know that many people are gonna say it's only emotivism, I don't believe so, but it can become as structural and as ritual as any liturgical expression that we participate in, which of course technically is not, but people treat it as such. And um, so I never officially, I would never say that I officially left the Catholic Church. Everybody during my 20 years of evangelical charismatic years, they were always telling me that I'm too Catholic. I'm still too Catholic. You know, we had debates for years, you know, why am I not rebaptized or whatnot? So it was very inter interesting dynamic. And I came from a Catholic charismatic and converted situation, uh, working as a Catholic charismatic in Russia, which was let's put it this way, unevangelized in 91, totally unevangelized. So it was a different <coughs> cultural setting that I started to work with evangelical charismatics in an ecumenical setting to start to try to try to start a church in Moscow in this time, which of course now we might laugh at certain things, we might treasure certain things from it, but it was what it was. But coming to that moment when you came to Steubenville, I was there, uh, with our kids and I was homeschooling. So when I heard you talking, I'm like, this is exactly right. This is what we need to do. Why no one is like, you know, uh, incorporating all these principles of beauty and into prayer and our spirituality and as families, as domestic churches and stuff. Because at this point, and I don't remember exactly if it was just before, just after or during, but I was thinking about, and we started it eventually to do just during Advent, uh, morning prayer because we had so many kids coming and going through a variety of co-ops and so on and so on and in our neighborhood uh, it was a walking distance so we decided okay let's just do morning prayer so kids were starting to come at 7 a.m and first I thought they come for hot tea and muffins because that's what I promised because I wanted to lure them <laughs> but eventually they started to bring all their siblings and eventually they started to come at 6 a.m not even at 7 and even when we prolonged the season for Lent, they would come even when we did not have any muffins and tea. So uh, it was intriguing to me uh, to find out what are they responding to? Is this the component of community? Is this the component of friendship? Of something that they as um, kids can do something outside of the church? Or, you know, what was the draw? Yeah. So that. So when I heard you, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy has some answers from the uh, maybe more structured way to what we were looking how to present it maybe to other families or the broader audience. By the way, you know, I come from Poland. So for me, when I grew up, I had a strong conversion in my teen years and I belonged to a movement called Light Life, which was the biggest underground movement in Poland. And it's not much known maybe because of the communist years. It was Catholic movement of laity mainly. Uh, and um, we chanted, uh, it has certain stages, right? So in a certain, in, in a second stage, you, you learn about uh, liturgy. And that's, this is when we started to incorporate, incorporate, you know, morning or evening prayer to our communities or homes. So for me, it was very normal, natural. No one needed teaching about it, extensive teaching in how to practice it. So when I came to the States and I became Catholic and I'm like, why is no one chanting? And then I remember I observed one time 
USCCB session and bishops were reciting it, you know, during day meetings. Yeah. And I'm like, something is wrong here. Like, why? It's so easy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not easy for someone who doesn't know what's happening, but literally it is easy in a sense. So then I started to look, okay, what, what are the books? What is available around here? So I found Christian Prayer and of course, you know, four volumes of Liturgy of the Hours. And I'm like, this is okay. This is good for someone who is already acquainted with it. But what, what about ch chanting? And then I realized that whatever is offered in Christian prayer is super confusing because of simple notion, and I'm trying, just don't kill me people, whoever's gonna watch this, but your division of the stanzas of the sounds are so irregular and the melodies corresponding with them are so confusing that you have to be literally a, a musical person or person prepared to do this to teach others. And it's gonna take you a while, which for me in my, everyday experience it was very easy we knew certain melodies and we you know we adjusted them uh, on a daily basis to various canticles and psalms and it just worked so i'm like okay maybe this is the reason for confusion so that's why uh when we heard you i'm like there is more to it more to it than i knew but it's conceptual answer and a very pragmatic answer from uh, from whatever you presented in this teaching. Yes, I, um, I know that uh, you've come across this uh, tension in, in, in your work as well, but in some ways pushing the Liturgy of the Hours, people have only got a certain amount of time and the Liturgy of the Hours, other things being equal is more powerful and effective than the Rosary. In a sense, the Rosary is what the Liturgy of the Hours is pointing to. It's, it's a pattern of prayer based on that. And if we're literate and can pray it, now it doesn't, it's not an either or. And some people, if they love the rosary, they can do that. That's wonderful. I don't want to stop people. But I, remember, I think that I, um, this is a, a reaction that some people have. If we're going to push the Liturgy of the Hours, um, the most people who are likely to listen are probably fairly pious anyway. They're, they're and they've only got a certain amount of time, something has to give. So if you introduce one thing, you're likely to have to drop another. Um, and so they, they would have to choose what's most important, uh, what has the highest value as part of the church. And it isn't an absolute thing. It isn't one of the commandments of the church that you pray as lay people, we pray the Liturgy of the Hours. So it does depend on the temperament of the person and there are many, many nuances to this, but as a general rule, um, I've, and I have a feeling I said that in the talk, and that's why you came running up to me. Yeah, I, I think Ivona was the one who hit me. She says, go talk to that guy, you know? <laughs> I did. I did. Because, and I thought maybe it is because you are from Europe. I don't know what that was. I'm like, finally, like, you know, sometimes um, it is more intuitive connection than even sometimes, you know, the the talk, but the talk was great. I think that people don't have the explanation of people. If people think about liturgy of the hours as another obligation, yes, which they did not grow up with because they don't see the value and they they don't see how it really changes their life and how it transforms their heart because we are literally pronouncing the word of God that becomes incarnated in our hearts when we sing it. 
which yes, you have to have a certain degree of maybe maturity to even get there. But I was surprised that we had, you know, small kids then in Steubenville as, you know, the first time when we did it in the States, they were as young as seven, eight, nine. Yeah. And they would come. And uh, of course we can think, okay, they are just mimicking stuff and they're just thinking, I'm yeah. like, yes, but this is as any other um, discipline as we would call it of prayer that you are introducing them into. And you don't, you never know who is going to respond in what degree and in what time. I think we do have obligation, but I think to, to invite people to it, but I think that a lot of people are incapacitated because they really don't know what does it really do to you when you are singing God's word back to him, which he has given to us. Yes. We don't understand this transformative power that it brings to us. And we don't also understand the depths of the psalm, which mainly we chant psalms and some canticles from all the New Testament. But the psalms are embodying every human emotion and express every heartful um, desire, intention, and so on and so on. They work, in, they, they work in a human way. Like we can, we really can um, not become only attached to it, but we can... Uh, I think it's Martin who said that, you know, God gave us psalms to express his heart toward us. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah, if we, if we were uh, in, in a modern therapy session, which I, my instincts are not in favor of that, but the language that I've heard used is that um, people can identify with that it speaks at a very human level, but the truths that it contain are deep and rich not just in, in terms of engaging us emotionally and then drawing us out of ourselves into a better place from wherever we happen to be at that moment, which might not be good. We come, we're all people coming into this and we start from where we are. And the point is we want to move towards God. Um, also theologically rich, it, it, it reflects all of scripture before and points to all of scripture afterwards is right at the heart of uh, therefore, our worship to God. Um, it also has this, you know, ecclesial component that people, I think, forget. It is a mystical Church of Christ. We are doing this 24-7 as a Catholic body. Orthodox yeah. have the form of it, Anglicans, and so on and so on. So we are united in a sense. This is very ecumenical effort in, in my head also. Like yeah. we are continuing to carry what first Christians did, desert fathers, desert mothers, first church fathers, right? We are consuming the word that has to consume us. So this mystical, like we are entering into this eschatological and mystical uh, culture of upholding the value of the word that, you know, the same Holy Spirit that spoke at certain times and it was written, we are embodying it now. Yes. So it's almost like timeless and, um, you know, it happens all around the world and we are participating in this this is for me it's it's like beautiful you know yes i i was struck just to reinforce that um in i live in this convent building so it's a sort of quasi community you know we rent space and there are some shared facilities but we can retreat into our rooms and you know if we wish to but um two of us during this uh period of shelter in shelter at home is that the phrase shelter in place that's it um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how they dreamt up that phrase. Anyway, so shelter in place, 
uh, we resolved to sing um, choral evensong, in effect, the evening prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which is fine for Anglicans, for Catholics, and for and um, and the guy. I'm sure he won't mind me mention, mentioning Ben. He, the two we resolved together that we're going to try our best during this period to offer this, and we'll just see what happens. So we put it out on Facebook at around 4:45 p.m. every evening. Now he. Uh, had never seen this before. He comes from Texas and was a Southern Baptist. Um, but um, as far as I know, he couldn't see anything to object to because it's all scripture that we're singing. And, right. and he responded to the music and, he, and um, actually is extremely interested in finding out more about it. Um, and it's wonderful for me to have somebody who wants to do this with me. I, I, and um, so it, it's, it does literally it builds community both supernaturally and naturally i i think it it's it reaches the whole human person okay i want to fast forward in a sense go on keith you, i see you're dying to jump before we get to fast forward i guess you know when she told me to go go up there and speak to you i mean first i mean it was to thank you for your talk and then two i just had another uh agenda for you as well because by that time we already started doing um morning prayer at a house and yeah. and uh you know these kids that were coming over uh there were three theology professors that lived you know not far away from us and their kids would come and um this is in steubenville just to remind people yeah because i was director of marketing for the university at the time and um Basically, just having a, a conversation with one of the, the, the professors, you know, he was just asking, like, why, you know, my kids are wanting to do this, and I'd rather them do the rosary, and we just had this conversation. Kind of what you just mentioned earlier, like, you know, I don't know why people think it's this or this, you know. Um, and I was just telling him my perspective. It's like whenever, when I learned the ABCs, and as well as my kids, um, they sang it. You know, we all kind of like, I don't know how, how they do it in England, but, you know, here it was like, we just sing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, you can kind of learn them that way. And my, I just told them, I said, you look, the liturgy of the hours, there's so much Bible. And when you're singing the Bible, it can just get deposited inside of you so much quicker and so much deeper. You know, kind of going back to um, my days at, in Kansas City with the International Affairs, with so many people singing the Bible, just verses would just kind of pop back up to your memory, yeah. and you can recite them, you know, off the top of your head and your point of need. And so kind of doing this, um, you know, doing this uh, in, in, in that place, I mean, it was, it was perfect for the kids because, you know, in the evangelical environment, when you're wanting to do like, family prayer time so much of it is like spontaneous or like shooting from the hip yeah and at least just to have the structure like there's so many times you know when you wake up and you're like oh i really rather sleep in today but then when you're opening up lauds and you start chanting it so many things just speak straight to your heart and you're like i am so glad i did this that's it gives you the language you know the language of prayer which yeah. the ideal language is in the Psalms, of course, and in those canticles. So people who are struggling with, I mean, I come from very charismatic uh, background, 
And for me, like it carries you through the dry spells. It carries you through the moments that you have nothing or in the moments that you're just tired because you are leading so many prayer meetings or whatnot. And it does give you, it settles you. You are, um, you are anchored in something that is absolutely objectively true, not in your own just life circumstances or experiences. And it can come and flourish from there if we learn this. So mm -hmm. this is what the tradition of the church teaches us, that bit worked. And I don't want to sound, you know, scholastic or academic in this, but it does work. Yes. It takes a little effort and people have to be invited to it. And it has to become first, you know, uh, first they have to desire it personally. And that's the whole trick, I believe, to, you know, get people into the moment to even think about it, like what it can do to me, because this is the first question people ask. I think it's with that, you know, how do you lure people into it? I mean, you have to present it in a way. And I think, you know, from your talk, it was just like presented in such a way. I'm like, how would someone not want to do this, you know? Because, I mean, after they taste and do it for a while, of course, I think maybe the very first time they get kind of um, like, whoa, like, how do I do this, you know? But then after you start doing it um, and you lure them in, I mean, then they just get addicted. Yeah, I, and that's, that's what happened to me. Um, now, I'm just going to tell you my impression of you when I met you and then so a little bit is my story now so uh, okay. I uh, I was very excited to talk to you both um, very pleased that you picked up on that because not everybody does I experienced the similar reactions from some people and I'm talking about those who are genuine good Catholics here I, I'm not talking about the liberals who don't want to do anything that people are serious about their faith um, so it was a conversation that had been going on even back at Thomas More College in, of Liberal Arts in New Hampshire where I was teaching at that time. Um, so we swapped numbers and we, we thought about somehow collaborating and the distance was too great and so <clears throat> I was aware of you doing things on Facebook I would see that but we really didn't have a conversation again until I'm going to say two months ago um, where I heard from you, and you're now in Los Angeles, uh, or close, and um, I'm here in the East Bay near San Francisco, and you said, would you come down and talk to us? Uh, we have a group here called Stone to Flesh, um, and I was extremely excited. Um, what struck me about you is that you had the... Um, you, you struck me as people who are prepared to roll up your sleeves and get on with it and do it and let the practice of doing what is good attract people. It's, it's not persuading people as much as, I'm sure there's an element of that, it's, it's the activity itself. And um, I, uh, I wasn't disappointed, I'm going to say, we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing, but um, <clears throat> your um, interest in that comes from the evangelical background, which is very good, what you bring, this emphasis on home groups, communities, um, human fellowship, should we say, which very often, and not always, but Catholics are not the best at, I would say, in my experience, um, but combining that with Orthodox, uh, with a little O, um, Catholicism and praxis. Um, and it just seemed to me to be a very strong combination so I wanted to know more about what you're doing and uh, 
So I traveled down, I think about a month ago, three weeks ago now. Um, that stage, the coronavirus was just a sort of distant point on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened. I was so happy. I was telling you today, I'm so happy that you came literally four days before everything yeah, started. Yeah, you were here, the, I think, the first weekend of March, you know. And yeah, then like, and then literally five days later, everything just yeah. shut down and we became quarantined. Well, yeah, so. it was very quick. So tell us about your current project um, and uh, again, how you felt what I was doing. I, I mean, you told us quite a lot, I think, but how particularly at this time, what I was doing fitted in with your vision, uh, which I found very exciting. So you're gonna say how we came here. Okay, so how we came here is, um, when, uh, yeah. so when, when um, I guess after becoming a Catholic in 2010, yeah. um, of course, you know, there was many, many conversations I had with my Protestant evangelical pastor friends and like, why are you doing this? You know, because of course we lost all support. We've lost some friendships. We, there, there was a price to pay of becoming a Catholic, you know, and then being both of me and Ivona both being ordained, knowing that we're going to go into lay Catholicism, like what can we do, you know? Um, yeah, it was a big question mark, you know, um, but, you know, whenever I got hired at the university and, and, and being their director of marketing, it just kind of gave me a, a platform to, to get to know a, a lot of Catholic leaders uh, pretty mm -hmm. fast. Um, and then I'm like, wow, this is, this is a great platform for ecumenism because, I mean, of course, the university teaches great theology, you know, and so anyway, I, I, um, I, I really wanted to see a cross-pollinization between the best things Catholic. Well, of course, all things Catholic are great, but like some of the things that I know the evangelicals can learn and glean from um, and how to do this. So our last year we were living in Steubenville, um, we were already starting to do ecumenical events and we had one, I was helping a friend of mine in LA do a, an event that was basically a 15 hour Joel chapter two, because then we know here we just have finished, you know, on Ash Wednesday, how you do Joel two, you know, um, gather a solemn assembly together, rend your, rend your hearts, not your clothing, and fast, pray, weep. So anyway, there was a, a big event that we had here, and I ended up um, having the audience of um, one of the LA bishops and I went to his house, spent three hours talking to him. And uh, it was there at the spot that he, uh, he said, can you just move to LA and help? Help us with young adults and help us to evangelize Catholics. And uh, I, I didn't even have to think about it for a day or a week or pray about it. I just said, yes, I would love to, you know. So we moved here at the invitation of an auxiliary bishop. And uh, that's how we, that's how we got planted here. Now, of course, you know, shortly after we arrived, he's like, okay, you know, what are we gonna do? And so we just had to go about and, and, and get, a, get a taste of what's happening in the LA Archdiocese. And after a few months, I think we kind of came up to our conclusion and uh, Yvonne, I'll let you add with that. 
So after four months, I think just going around and seeing what's happening and what are the needs and desires, talking to various leaders, we say, well, if we want to, uh, we had a conversation with Bishop David G. O'Connell and I said, well, probably what we can help with is maybe gather some leaders, first year small number, and uh, try to do some discipleship um, slash ministry slash, dis slash leadership program, although I hesitate to use the word program, so people can be um, equipped in, in my head, what I was thinking, normal Christian living as Catholics, but also deployed and released into uh, becoming, um, you know, everything that we have with our baptismal graces, priests, prophets, and kings in their life with their gifts, to the communities, neighborhoods, and so on and so on, because we tend to think uh, that we have to be parish-oriented only, but sometimes that doesn't work, and certainly in last years it doesn't work in a way as, as let's say, 20 years ago, which this fact is known and researched. So uh, that's what we decided to do, and um, I started praying and thinking and I made the program basically. I am still in writing, it's a better version. So it kind of gets tweaked, it's, we are in the third year of it. And it's nine month long program. And the first we started in 2017 and it's called Stone to Flesh School of the Heart. We call it School of the Heart because it's not only mission driven or oriented. So for the first two quarters, we talk about identity in Christ and we talk about a lot about Holy Spirit and our gifts. Then we go into evangelization and community building, which is how are we uh, to become those people who are catalysts of God's presence in wherever we live, in our places of work, families, neighborhoods, schools, wherever we are, and then how to start small fight communities. So this was basically the overall. And after the first year, of doing this, we invited people to join what we call now Stone to Flesh community, which if you join the community, you, uh, you become a missionary. So we are in the second year of this community. We have four, four full-time missionaries, which includes me and Keith and two other. And then we have 21 voluntary missionaries, which when you become voluntary missionary, you are committing yourself out of desire to spread the love of God, let's put it in a simple way this way, into wherever God is calling you. So uh, you have also some kind of Catholic lay ministry, which for example, if you are already in a youth ministry, let's say in your parish, we help you with uh, assisting you, accompanying you, equipping you to do the better job. But if you are nowhere and you just want to uh, do your ministry within school of the heart, within uh, our community, school of Stone of Flesh community, you can also do this. So we have uh, various diaconia, as we call them, ministries, mini, mini teams. So we have mercy team and evangelization team and discipleship team and liturgy team and so on and so on, a prayer and intercession, fasting and so on. So we are trying basically to help people to, people to grow to maturity in Christ within the Catholic context as quickly as possible and introducing them to uh, 
um, all the valuable things that we have experienced through our lives, that some of it is very evangelical, let's say in practice, nevertheless, it has um, connections and the background is absolutely Christian. So it goes, you know, throughout. Maybe we, we are equipped a little bit better because we were to do this communal aspect because this is how we function as church planters, so-called, for years. So that's basically what we are doing. And on the beginning, we thought we we're gonna have one central kind of location and place, but pretty quickly, we discovered that living in a cosmopolitan place and huge, geographically huge area as LA, we have to kind of split. So we started so-called hubs. And those hubs can be a per it can be a parish, can be a location, but mostly it's people's homes in which this uh, Christian evangelization process or prayer or different courses that we hold can take place. So we have couples hosting other couples. We have alpha courses happening in those homes, um, prayer meetings and so on and so on. And so we are not trying to it is not like a pyramid scheme, <laughs> you know. It's mostly, yes, we do have our culture, our values, and our mission, and so on and so on. But we are trying mainly to release people to what they have been created to, mm. uh, as become as beacons of light in the environment and according to the state of life that they are in. So, so that's yeah. what it is. That's 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 terrific. So what do you, I'm going to throw this back at you just to see whether I've understood what you said. But what I hear you saying is that um, you're creating clusters of people who have been formed by you and um, will have a similar sort of charism um, as evangelists. So that um, and they will meet in their their homes um, in this formation. My understanding is that there's a strong emphasis on on practice, so or praxis, right. should we say that? <clears throat> so when I went down, you wanted me to talk about praying with visual imagery in the context of the liturgy, in the context of the home. How do we do that? How do we engage with our so that there are takeaways that can be added directly to the spiritual life of the person? I know you teach lexio divina, um, and so this is. Um, allowing people to reach their move towards their calling as Christians in the Christian life. T typically young people, that on the whole, it's a, um, the people that I met, um, which is great. Um, anything else that I've missed out in the summary there? It's you can summarize this. Yeah, you did it very well. If you just came for, you know, 24 hours and if you can promote us in this way, we are very happy. <laughs> <laughs> or as, as usual, there'll be things I've missed. And then you have these house groups, and then what you try and do is have people come in, uh, as long as the virus isn't there, monthly or something like that. You have speakers come in, and then these clusters meet together. So it's a way of the, the coming together of the broader group of people, people so that they have a sense of being part of something greater was that, is that correct? yes so we call those gatherings and uh we had them bi-weekly or sometimes monthly depending on what else is happening okay. uh, we have a group of leaders it's eight leadership eight people who constitute the leadership of the community 
And then people are, uh, those missionaries, as we call them, voluntary missionaries, people commit for a year. So when they commit for a year, they commit to uh, becoming vibrant members of a community and also to ministry, you know, to the world. So we have like this tripod. We take care of it and we still equip missionaries on an ongoing basis. And we pay attention to our relationship with God, our relationship as people, members of our community, and then our mission that we are having um, as community. What are we doing to the world? And uh, we also uh, start incorporating, you know, four, year, four times a year fasting, and we take it from the Eastern tradition. So we have nativity fast and then Lent, Great Lent, as we are going through it now, and then the Apostles fast and their mission fast. Um, we are super connected to really trying to settle people in the word of God. And we are super strong on prayer and intercession within this whole concept. We believe that, so we are very charismatic in a very Catholic sense, let's put it this way, right? So it is very orthodox in a sense. So not charismatic in a sense that if you just make some noise with a guitar that's called charismatic, we are really after the true gifts of the Holy Spirit as from Isaiah, the same is from in Romans and Corinthians mm -hmm. and so on and so on. And uh, drinking deeply from the mystical uh, resources of the church and tradition that we have, which is very helpful. And we are also looking at that we don't want to preserve and maintain what we have, but how does it look, how does this, all of this should look now in our modern world? And I think this translating of the church's wisdom and this tradition that we have to our contemporary language and practice, you know, what is really a human tradition that we can shed off and how can we uh, incorporate it how do we adapt it successfully? Not, not giving up into the culture that brings death, but bringing the culture of life and having a language and formula that uh, is perceptible to people and that this can be accommodated into basically everyday existential uh, situation of everybody. That's what I think Catholics are you know, missing. We have our own super with communication and so on and so on. Like you can be lost if you come from outside of the Catholic world. And if you come to many Catholic meetings, especially liturgical, but not only, you can be quite lost very quickly if you don't know the lingua, the lingo. Mm. And you know, how do we translate this? How do we make this desirable? How do we awaken people's hearts? to desire more of God, to desire this lifetime of community, to desire exchanging the gifts and to be even, you know, like mostly Catholics are used to, I come, someone talks, I listen to it, I nod, I go home, do nothing, come to the next meeting. So my head is so much bigger and my heart is not really responding to all of this. So within our community and with our diaconia teams and within our school of the heart, as soon as you learn something, you have to do it next day or even the same day the same day next day the next week and we keep each other accountable 
Uh, of course, it's not ideal. I mean, this is the ideal that we want. Of course, it sometimes it doesn't work, and people need time to process and adjust and rethink and repray and be re-evangelized and be reconverted. We are, you know, we feel that we have to be reconverted every single day, re-evangelize every single day. But having this dynamic of we are, you know, pulling each other, pushing each other up and inward and out. Uh, there is always someone whose burdens we have to carry because of sadness, sorrow, or whatnot. But there is also someone all the time who is having a greater connection with God and is, you know, uh, exhorting others and, and moving forward. So this dynamic is almost like an extended family in a sense. So we don't want to be so organized to kill the life. We want to keep it as organic as possible. But in the same way, you know, we have to incorporate some kind of uh, maneuvering, you know, what does it mean to have a community of this sort, you know, in LA, for example, and in our Western world? Yeah. Okay, I think we'll uh, finish there. Before we do, um, I, first of all, thank you very much to, uh, for uh, coming and uh, being involved in this conversation. Absolutely fascinating. Um, for those who want to get in touch with you, um, how can they do so? What's this is there's a website that's probably the best way. What is there's that? a website stone to flesh.org? Stone to flesh.org, stone to flesh, all one word. I'll put this in the <clears throat> in the notes on the on the way of beauty uh, uh, website. Um, we also have another website majorchange.org, which is our nonprofit. So oh. our ecumenical efforts are for majorchange.org. Okay. And everything else that we do is stonetoflesh.org. And <clears throat> I'm going to make some suggestions and then you can respond to this. Um, for those who are listening to this, um, the, the, clearly the Stone to Flesh is going, is going to work very well um, in this, for this community, for those people who are young and living. Uh, you're in Azusa aren't you, in North LA. So anyone there who wants to get involved, go get in touch, uh, be involved. But many of you won't be. And I always have the principle that if you can think, if you think you can do something at least as badly, you might as well try yourself. So always with these things, and I'm not saying you're doing this badly, I think you're doing very well, but you see what I'm saying. If, if you're listening to this and thinking this is great, what I'm hoping is to inspire others to do the same. And it's not going to be exactly the same model. There'll be much that you can learn. The more we have different attempts to draw people together um, across the lines of parishes and form people and give them what is essentially a mystagogical catechesis. In other words, it's a, it's a formation <clears throat> that continues after the rites of initiation. So they continue this sense of a journey deeper into the faith and, and towards God. Um, and you're not just cast adrift to go to mass once a week once you uh, once you come into the church. Um, so um, I'm hoping that this will inspire people to think about what they might do in their own neighbourhoods or their own areas. It and I'm I'm guessing that they could talk to you, they can get in touch with you. But a lot of this is going to be people having their own gifts. You've got a particular charism here. You've got a particular sort of experience which allows you to approach this in a particular way mine 
is slightly different because I, I have a different background. Um, but each of us um, who are listening and think they'd like to be part of something like this, um, it may be that you are being called to create something like this where you are, there's a vacuum. We are actually uh, starting probably next week or maybe right after Easter, I'm gonna send an invitation to those people who uh, consider them, themselves leaders and majority of those people should, who are even watching this. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna call it Flow Platform and it's gonna be networking and, and mentor, mentoring platform, which doesn't mean that we're gonna mentor people, we're gonna mentor each other in variety of things. And we're gonna exchange our uh, knowledge principles of building communities and so on and so on within their own um you know colon and so this is gonna because we see the need we see the need that people have this intuition or have this desire but they don't know exactly maybe how to start what to do and it's so simple people are afraid because they are imagining this grandiose something has to come or a beautiful website or you know 20 people or someone it's not so it's much simpler and you know what the thing is is um you visited us um earlier this month in a place that we rent um but our first year of everything that we did with school of the heart it was right here in our house um so we have a two-car garage so we just um i mean it's it's a it's a newer house so it was well, everything except adorations we still kept in the church yeah but i mean like <laughs> we just opened our garage door and we would have because I mean, of course, LA, the weather's like pretty much always nice here, you know? Yeah. So we just opened up our the garage door, the two-car garage, and we would have over 40 students packed in our garage every Tuesday night. Wow. And so if people think I need, you know, big equipment and big lights and I need this, this, this rental place, you would be amazed at what you can do at your home if you just do it. Right. That's it. Just do it. There's, there's a slogan there somewhere, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and then I, I saw someone post on Facebook yesterday about um, how the early church met, you know, and it, was, it gave all these scriptures of all the specific houses that people met at, you know. Mm. And um, I think it's, it's causing people to think like, okay, how much longer is this going to be till I can go to church? Like, yeah. what can you do? Of course, everyone's fallen in love with Zoom because, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't even know it existed and now people know what it is, you know, because people are, are longing for this. And um, yep. yeah, there's something about doing something at a home around a meal that's just um, very hospitable. Yep. Okay, that's wonderful. Keith and Ivana, uh, thank you very much. And let's talk again soon. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.